It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Everything Destination Devi, head over to DestinationDevi.com. Sign up for any of the tiers on the website if you're interested in some of the tools. Also access to the exclusive Discord. There's a couple tiers you can choose over there. Uh, a new announcement for anybody that is subscribed to the Trades in 5 or the Heisman tier which is over on the old Patreon. You can still sign up for the Trades in 5 tier over on the Patreon and also the Elite tier or the Heisman tier on the Destination Debbie website. We're going to be putting all of the bonus content that is done in the Discord. It will now have its own private podcast feed, so you will have access to that once you are in one of those tiers, the Trades in 5 tier or the Heisman tier. You will get three to four additional pieces of content every week which includes the Monday morning drive with Shane on his way to work on Monday. He kind of recaps everything that we're talking about in Dynasty. It's a great show. It's very casual and relaxed, so you'll get that. You will get the Wednesday AMA with Ray and whatever guest he has on that week. You will get that AMA, and then you will get the Saturday night AMA slash Q&A for the upcoming week with Shane and I. And there may be additional shows coming to that feed, so... Head over to DestinationDevy.com, sign up for the Heisman tier, or if you want to go to Patreon.com backslash all gas, you can sign up for the Trades in 5 tier there. Either of those gets you access to the bonus content, not only that, but also the Discord and all the channels and whatnot that goes with the Discord. So check that out. Uh, Coming up soon, I know I said there would be an announcement, it will be coming soon, Uh, War Games, very, very soon something will come out regarding that. And that's going to be the start, at least for me, of me really starting to reform my roster construction series. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight from a best ball perspective. But that's going to be the start. I really want to take a look at a lot of the war data through this season, halfway through, probably look at it after eight weeks, just to see where things are trending, but also how they compare to the last couple years. A really cool feature of the war tool, again, on the website, you can look at the three-year average for your league. So you can look at the distribution in your league, which helps you not necessarily with what players, because if you're going back three years, a lot of the players are going to be different, but it helps you just understanding the distribution of war and how to roster construct around it in your given league. And I think that's really cool to be able to look at a three-year average And just say, okay, I've kind of ballparked what my league distribution is going to look like from a war perspective, and in theory, a scoring perspective, and then how do I roster construct that? And then more importantly, more features coming very soon on how to actually navigate my league. Because I get a lot of questions regarding war and roster construction and go, that's great if you're looking at things from an optimal in your league, but then somebody shows you their individual league And the assets are all over the place. The allocation is not a perfect application. Because if you think about it, 
if you're looking at optimal war or even just historic war and saying, this is pretty much what I think it's going to look like going forward, that's also assuming that everyone in your league is behaving that same way. That everyone is already kind of assuming that baseline beginning of where the league starts. And unless it's a startup, that's not really the case. You get into an actual league and you go, yeah, this sounds awesome from a optimal perspective until you have to look at the allocations of the assets in your league itself. And that's where you have to understand your league mates. You have to understand what is the economy in your league. And then also how feasible is it to get to the optimal or get to the place I want to get to when the asset distribution is all over the place in my league that's been going on for four, five, six years already. So I think that's an important component coming very soon. And then aside from that, the Trinity tool is coming very soon. If you want a groundbreaking way to start evaluating the wide receiver position, the Trinity tool is going to be what you want to look at. Coming soon, there's going to be a lot of options built into it. It's just going to be a tool on the website. Again, if you have access to the website with the tools, you will get access to the Trinity tool. It will be game-changing in the Dynasty space in terms of evaluating wide receivers. And it's going to have a market component built into it where you're going to also be looking at the market value or just the keep trade cut value of the players within the Trinity tool. Because that's one thing we always talk about with wide receivers is you have wide receiver production slash market value. How do you marry those two? How do you predict maybe what type of a receiver, which is what the Trinity score or the Trinity tool is going to be able to do for you? But then it goes, what is the ability to actually go maneuver on the market for this type of receiver? And that's where the human element comes into it. Keep trade cut is good. Having a Trinity score is good. Having these components married together with war is awesome. But then you have to use your own intuition from a dynasty perspective and say, okay, the data is saying this, but who can I actually go out and make moves on? Who can I buy? Who can I sell? Or is there going to be some hidden bias that is not measured in keep trade cut or anything else out there that's going to make it more difficult? So stay tuned for that coming very soon. Tonight's episode. So anybody that has followed me for a while knows that I've gone through a phase in 2019, 2020 especially during COVID, I joined a couple best ball dynasty leagues. And it was at a point where I had been playing MFL 10s for a while. Best ball was just really starting to get popular at that point. And I go, you know what? I'm going to join a couple dynasty leagues. And I didn't love best ball, but that was at a time where I was wanting to join a lot more leagues, a lot more $50 leagues, $100 leagues, just trying to build up my portfolio of some of those leagues, some on the lower dollar end, some just trying to find new players to play with. So I jumped in a couple best ball leagues. Now, at first, I wasn't really a huge fan of best ball. I would usually say if I'm looking for a new league, I don't want it to be best ball. But there were some that fit the format that I liked. You know, they were deep rosters. They had a lot of starters. They had unique strategies in terms of how you did the startup. But they were just best ball. So I joined a couple best ball leagues. And not to belabor the point too much, but I didn't like it. In 2020, wasn't a fan played them out, and then I ended up dropping the best ball leagues after a year. Normally when I drop a league, I will pay a year forward and go, you know what, I just don't want to be in this league anymore. And that's what I did. I bowed out, found a replacement owner, 
was out of those best ball leagues. And then if anyone remembers, Ray will remember this because him and I kind of got into it on Twitter. This was back in 2021 and it was just best ball dynasty is where it's at. That's what he had said in a tweet. And I responded and I just said, you know what? I don't like it. I don't love best ball dynasty for the reason that I think it removes a little bit of the grinding strategy edge that I thought at the time that I had. And keep in mind, this is coming off of the 2020 season. But more importantly, if anyone remembers the 2021 season, that was the season where after the first season that they played during COVID, 2021 was the season where they had all the crazy protocols, all of the testing protocols, where it was, if you were even a close contact to a player that had tested positive or you tested positive, you had to go in the protocol and it was a very good chance that you wouldn't play the next game. I remember you had to wait like five days to clear. And if you had tested positive on a Wednesday, there was no way you were going to play on a Sunday. And it was just really hard. Everyone that played remembers that season as just being almost impossible to navigate to the point where the league even pushed games back a day if there were too many exposures or, you know, they had some games that were postponed and moved to Tuesday. And it was really, really tough to navigate during that year. And one of my observations was, and that was a year where I was actually pretty successful, because let's be honest, if you were a grinder during that time, if you were somebody that had roster construction principles, if you were somebody that was grinding, maximizing every roster spot, taking advantage of every loophole, you had an edge. Because I would say that was a year that it was at an all-time high in terms of people being stuck without alternative options for games, uh, people not having substitute players. You know, a lot of times you'd have a backup that was relevant just out of nowhere that nobody could plan on just because somebody was a close contact to somebody that had COVID and then they couldn't play. So it was just crazy in terms of you saw a lot of just inefficiency, roster inefficiency. More importantly, you saw a lot of lineup inefficiency. I remember that was a year where you would look every week across your league, you would see three, four, five, maybe even half the teams in the league would be starting a player that was inactive or a player that had been ruled out on the last minute or they were just you know, not on top of managing their teams or their rosters just because the league was so crazy with these protocols. And I was like, you know what? That's an edge for somebody that's always willing to grind. That's an edge for somebody that is willing to make last-minute trades just to make sure that you don't get stuck. You know, Things like that that were an edge if you played in a lineup league, especially a deep lineup league. And I have a couple lineup leagues that were going on at that time that were start 15, start 14, start 13. You know, those, if you weren't on top of it and you weren't always planning for, you know, the six possible options that could not be available at a given time, then you were behind the eight ball. And I looked at it and I responded to that thread to Ray and it was just like, you know what, there's an edge that's lost if you play in best ball. And so I kind of poo-pooed on best ball and then summer of 2022 gets here and it was actually right after the draft where I started becoming more involved in Destination Devi, hanging out in the Discord more. And at that point, I go, you know what? I'm going to give Best Ball Dynasty another try because it was a new community. There were a lot of new people that I hadn't played in leagues with. And that was the real like kickoff point for me where I was like, I'm going to start a Best Ball portfolio. And it was at the time where there were other shows out there that were starting to talk a little bit about Best Ball and some of the strategy behind it. And also at the time, I was getting more into looking deeply at 
roster construction. It was before the roster construction series. It was before any of the tools that we have and all of that. But I go, you know what? I'm going to start a best ball portfolio. You know, Ray had kind of gotten me convinced that, hey, best ball may be the new way. And I, I looked at it as I don't love best ball, but there's a lot more content out there. You know, one of the things that I always have done is listened to best ball content. Even if I'm not a huge player of it, I would listen to it. I listen to DFS content and I listen to best ball content in the offseason just to kind of get gauges on how people are viewing ADP, how people are viewing building rosters. So that always fascinated me. So then we translate that to Dynasty. So 2022, I started adding a lot of best ball leagues. And then after a season in 2022, where I will say I was really starting from the beginning, I didn't really understand some of the nuances that I'm going to talk about in the show today. But as of 2023, the beginning of 2023, I believe I'm at 12 best ball dynasty leagues. So we're talking maybe 20% or so of my portfolio are now best ball. And I plan on going forward to continue to transition that to even more. I probably want to get to a point where I'm closer to 40, 50% of my leagues being best ball. And now that it's the year two of this kind of experiment or growth of a best ball portfolio, I want to talk about how that has changed my perspective as a dynasty player. So this is going to be, and we're 13 minutes in before I've really said what the show is going to be about, but this show is going to be five tips that you need to implement if you are playing best ball dynasty, specifically a best ball dynasty portfolio. So I know there's a lot of people that listen to DD that have listened to DD for a long time. This show is going to be right up your alley. Things that I have observed and because I played for a couple years and then stopped and in the meantime consumed a lot of best ball content, but most of that is redraft, focusing on roster construction, etc. And now have dove back into best ball dynasty. These are going to be some observations coming from me, and I'm not even really going to consider myself an expert on the topic. These are almost like working theories that I'm observing and I'm noticing happen in the best ball leagues that might be different from people in lineup leagues. And for people that don't play best ball dynasty or haven't played a lot of it, maybe this show will convince you to go, you know what, maybe I'll start building a little bit of a best ball portfolio. Because in ways, it's more challenging. In ways, it's less challenging. But there's nuances to both. There's ways you can take advantage of players in both. So that's what this show is going to be about. Five things you need to know if you're playing Best Ball Dynasty. I'll talk a little bit about some of the nuances and differences that make one different than the other. And if you're thinking about starting a portfolio or just jumping into a few Best Ball Leagues, you have to understand a couple of these things for sure so that you do not make mistakes when you originally build your team. And you also either underestimate or overestimate some of the stuff that is going to happen during the season. And it fits perfectly. And I haven't talked to Ray about this, but I'm curious on his thoughts. So Ray, when you listen to this, let me know what your thoughts are on this topic. How best ball kind of leads to the new age dynasty game. You and I have talked about the new age dynasty game a ton. We've talked about it a lot on shows. Does that lend itself more to the best ball format than it does the original lineup format. And that's something maybe we can talk about at a later time. But that's a curious thing that I've been thinking about going, man, the way everybody is playing best ball with everything being so immediate and reactionary, does that actually lend itself more to best ball? Does it make best ball more fun 
because of that. So that's going to be tonight's shows, five things you need to know about playing Best Ball Dynasty. And these are things that I have learned firsthand over the last couple years building my portfolio. And for those interested, when this season ends, we will have a ton of dispersal drafts over in Destination Devi. So if you're interested in a league, and most of them are going to be best ball. So if you're interested in a league, not a new startup yet, there'll be some new startups that happen. But if you're interested in some dispersal drafts, there is going to be kind of like a cleaning of house of a lot of the leagues and really try to manipulate them to get them to the place where they are awesome, active best ball leagues that really engage the league mates and they become really, really challenging. So if you're interested, message me, send me a DM, probably on Discord would be the best, but if you can access me in other places, let me know specifically it is regarding joining a Best Ball Dynasty dispersal after the season, and I'll get your name on the list so that we can set you up after the season ends uh, with what teams and what leagues will be available. So the first thing, this is the first observation that I have noticed that has really thrown me for a loop when it comes to best ball. And it is that roster construction is even more important in best ball. And that is something that I never thought I would have said back when I did the roster construction series originally myself on DD last year, talking about it from a lineup perspective. And then obviously we did the best ball roster construction series this spring. It's still available. It'll be fun to go back and listen to those again when I reboot them later on this year. But that is the first thing that I have noticed is roster construction is more important in best ball. Now, here's what I mean. I'm not saying it is not important in lineup leagues. But one thing that I've noticed about lineup leagues and roster construction is they're two separate things. And the gap between the two is much larger in lineup. And here's what I'm referring to. In a lineup league... It's great to know this is what the war looks like. This is what I want my roster construction to be. But a lot of that is geared towards it is easier for me to kind of embrace the chaos that I know is going to happen and I'm manipulating a lineup around it. And because I'm setting a lineup, so let's just say in a 12-team super flex, 11 starters, 30-man rosters, I'm probably focused on two portions of my team. There's my lineup, I know what I have to start, and I know that if I'm going to punt running back, or I'm going to go really slim at tight end, or I'm going to hold all the backup quarterbacks, whatever I'm going to do, part of that is roster constructing around making a lot of my decisions easier. I've talked about that on prior shows. Why do you roster construct really slim at tight end? Why do you roster construct with a ton of running backs, but try not to hold too much market value? Part of the reasons for that is you take advantage of the fact that you don't have to make a lot of tough decisions or especially a lot of tough, expensive decisions at those positions. For instance, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, tight ends. The war in a lot of leagues basically says replacement value at tight end. It is such a high threshold to get one that is above replacement. You're almost better off just picking one that is in the cheapest range where you get the best shot at giving you a spike week. And that's it. And start that player, especially if you're like, that player is going to be had pretty cheaply, but they're going to give me maybe positive war for the season. I'll just take the fact that I only need that one. Unless they get injured, I'm just going to start that tight end. I'm going to embrace the fact that if I just start Hunter Henry every week 
or Kate Otten every week, I'm going to probably get at least five or six games that are above replacement. I'm going to get some that are below replacement. Probably the games where they get a touchdown or they don't. But that's it. I'm not wasting a ton of roster spots on having five guys like that. Because then I have to make decisions. I'm only going to pick one because I'm not going to flex them. So I'm wasting four roster spots. Same with running backs. If I can just get as many running backs on a 53, but I get it at the cheapest price possible, there's going to be times where I go, I have no choice but to just start this running back. And if you're constantly playing the market of, all right, if I have a running back that exceeds maybe their value to a point where I can sell them for a second and throw another guy in there, perfect. I just replace them. I'm just going to bet on the flat running back production that we know exists in those tiers. So it's very easy to roster construct and line up around making your decisions easier and kind of embracing some of the chaos. But from a roster construction perspective, that's the reason you're doing it typically. And in some leagues, I've noticed that can only go so far, especially in leagues where a lot of other people are roster constructing similarly. What happens is there becomes this void in the market to where everyone is kind of trying to do the same thing. And so then I found myself sitting here going, okay, I'm roster constructed exactly how I want. I'm holding a ton of quarterbacks, holding a ton of running backs. I probably have pretty high quality at wide receiver and I maybe have an elite QB or maybe two elite QBs or at least three locked in starters plus a bunch of backups. And I'm playing tight end exactly as I talked about it. But then I go, there's some leagues where I'm roster constructed that way, but it doesn't help me on the market. It doesn't help me from a perspective of I'm really not giving myself the opportunity for any sort of selling. Like if I'm going to go and sell an extra wide receiver, it needs to be outside of my roster construction to where I go. I feel comfortable selling that wide receiver. So I found myself and I talked about this on the roster construction series that there are times where you go, yeah, I just lucked into an extra receiver or two, which means I can go sell one. So I have a roster where I have Josh Palmer lucked into Josh Palmer that became my wide receiver six or seven. And that's just happenstance. I never projected him to be in there, but now that he is, I have a little more flexibility on my team, but I didn't build it that way. So what happens in lineup leagues, if you dial in your roster construction super, super tight, it actually can hurt you on the open market, especially when other people are constructing the same way. So you have to kind of look at it like, do I want to roster construct to embrace the variance and the chaos that I know is going to happen. And that helps me actually win the league per se, because I'm embracing exactly how I think the scoring is going to go and the distribution is going to go. But the roster construction doesn't help me overall from a roster value standpoint. So it's almost like it preps me perfectly to get through a season, but it doesn't help me necessarily always go to the market and be able to flip things around. When I'm wrong, it's harder to get out of it. It's really hard to get out of a lineup league that's constructed right, but you're wrong on a lot of the outcomes. On those teams, you kind of just throw your hand up and go, oh, well, I picked some of the wrong players. It's hard for me to get away from it without completely shattering the construction. In best ball, I think it's really, really important because it goes hand in hand with the market and with the winning or losing. Whereas in lineup, you're kind of separating the two. You can get away with bad construction, but winning in a lineup league, especially because only, what, 15, 16 players in a start 11 are probably relevant from a week-to-week standpoint in terms of 
whether you win or lose your matchup. In best ball, it's deeper than that, and we'll get to a future point with this same topic. But in best ball, you do want to be roster constructed correctly for two reasons, and here's why it's the most important. One, obviously maximizing your peak score. So you get into a point where, all right, you're going to have to have some push and pull, and this is where best ball roster construction is really, really fun. You can look at the war, and you can look at the distribution and say, all right, it makes sense that if I'm going to punt tight end, I probably need to go to the high range of the number of tight ends that it says I should have. Like, I probably need to go, if it says I should carry four or five tight ends, but all my tight ends are just scrubs, I probably need six. Maybe I even need seven. Same with quarterbacks. You look optimally in a best ball league, you probably want to have at least three starting quarterbacks, if not four, if not even five. But the problem is there's a little bit of a push and pull when it comes to the quarterbacks too because you can't afford to roster every backup because you don't want to take on a ton of guys that are scoring zeros on a weekly basis. So that's where it becomes really finicky where, okay, I want four or five quarterbacks. It's really hard to get four or five locked-in QBs. It's not that hard to have three locked-in QBs and you find a Tyson Bajant, you find a Tyrod Taylor, you find a Gardner Minshew. There's a lot of backups that start games. So being able to always kind of churn and burn and have four, have maybe five, it makes sense to always try to be in that range, but you got to be grinding the waiver wire. You can't stash every backup QB and hope for an injury because you're going to take a lot of zeros waiting for those injuries to happen. So you want to be constructed right. And when you're constructed right in best ball, it gives you the ability to then go to the market and say, okay, I'm pretty much where I want to be with my 30 roster spots. I'm rostering five quarterbacks. I'm rostering five tight ends. I've got my core running backs that I know are going to give me enough touches. So maybe that's seven running backs. And then the rest of my roster spots are all wide receivers. Really, it's any wide receiver that could get snaps could give me a week in best ball. So my construction is where I want it to be. But what it also allows you to do is go, okay, Now my construction is where I want it. So I go into a week, my construction's almost exactly how I want. Then I can go look at what's available on waivers. I can go look at what's available on trade. And then I can say, I know exactly where those pieces may fit in, where my needs might be. And then I can decide if I want to spend. But it's because my construction is already where I want it to be. I've actually gotten ahead of the game from a, instead of just chasing any active player, which I see a lot of people do, and we'll talk about that here in just a second, I now have my numbers right around where I want them to be, and then there might be an opportunity where I can trade from one of those numbers because I know in my league there's these two guys on waivers, these two receivers that have gotten a couple more snaps. I can go pick one or two of them up. It gives me the ability to go, you know what, I can trade a receiver away. Then I can almost just be mindless and say, all right, I'm going to pick up one of these two guys on waivers and I can trade away a receiver that actually has some trade value. And it's because I have the construction that I want allows me to then have a market on my team. I don't feel like I'm moving away from my construction just to sell a player. And that's a real simplistic idea. But if you think about it, hey, I have a good team. It is constructed the way that I want. Think about doing best ball redrafts. Think about how disruptive it would be if you were in an 18-round underdog draft or a 22-round best ball FFPC draft or whatever it might be, and then all of a sudden you lose one of those players. 
you lose one of those receivers that had X value. They're just off your roster. Now you're going, man, I may need to shift things around a little bit. Here, because you're within construction, there's really only one chess piece that you have to move. A receiver gets injured or you move a receiver because you like the trade value that you're getting. Boom. I can backfill with something that I know is available. I can backfill with a running back that is cheaper than I know I can buy for a third in best ball because they're going to be getting some weekly touches and I can sell this running back for a first. And you know where your construction needs to be. You're not chasing something. You're really just filling one for one. So roster construction in best ball, not only does it help you hit the optimal scores, because if you think about it this way as well, best ball scoring, it's sometimes really finicky. If you study it, if you watch your matchups week to week, you will notice where sometimes you're like, man, I don't have anybody else can fill this spot. Then you have other times where you go, I have too many receivers that fired and gave me 15 points or more, but I can only fit seven of them in my lineup. But I had nine of them. And you go, I left a little meat on the bone. So roster construction can not only help you optimally score, that's what the war tool will help you with, is understanding where those peaks and valleys are and understanding where the distribution typically is. Uh, but it also helps you with the open market. So that's number one. Roster construction is more important in bus ball to pay attention to how you're constructed, how many at each position you have, how many players, especially understanding your IR rules and all of that kind of stuff, knowing how many players you have that potentially could fire in a given week. And that leads me to number two. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And it's all-encompassing, but is just how important active players are and how much more important grinding the waiver wire in best ball is. If you like grinding the waiver wire, if you like finding those gem players, in best ball, it's a lot more fun. I used to think it was fun in lineup leagues. But then you get to best ball, and especially when you get into an active best ball league where everyone is grinding and everyone is playing the secondary trade market, which we'll get to that here in just a second, the waiver wire and grinding the last couple roster spots is more fun in best ball. And here's an example. In 2022, that was the first year I started growing my portfolio. I still hadn't fully adjusted to a lot of the types of players that you would want to add in best ball leagues. So not that I didn't understand that, hey, any tight end could hit your lineup or any wide receiver could hit your lineup, but I still couldn't let go of some of the stashes and some of the players that I was maybe a little bit too slow to adjust to going, yeah, that guy's not really worth anything in a best ball league. So it's obviously understanding the thresholds and you know what types of players are worth holding in certain circumstances, but I was just a little bit behind and I didn't notice it until I started noticing it more in the offseason when I started studying the scoring in some leagues, studying how some teams were built, looking at some of those results of players that hit people's lineups last year, and then really going through it the first seven weeks of this year, just understanding that grind week to week. And here's what I mean. So after a week is over in a best ball league, 
And assuming you already understand your rules about injured reserves, some best ball leagues don't allow you to put players on injured reserves, like Sleeper doesn't, MFL does depending on your settings, some settings only allow you to put injured reserve players, other players allow you to place players that are inactive or out on injured reserves, but they're all different. But understanding those nuances, and then also understanding kind of what the waiver wire is going to look like in a best ball league versus a lineup league. I already talked about it. You're going to find a lot of any running backs on a 53 on waivers in best ball. You're going to find a lot of backup quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks that a lot of people would say, yeah, that's probably a must roster player in a dynasty league on waivers in best ball. Guys that you would, well, wow, if they started Tyler Huntley, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, Malik Willis, like those types you'll find on waivers in best ball because people can't afford to hold too many zeros. Jameis Winston, Taylor Heineke, Jacoby Brissett, you'll find some of those guys on waivers in best ball. And we'll talk a little bit about that in future shows with the roster construction series. But in best ball, you look at the waivers, you'll find a lot of the running backs and quarterbacks that I am hoarding in lineup leagues on waivers in best ball. What you won't find is a lot of the tight ends that are getting snaps. A lot of the gross tight ends that people would go, how the hell did that guy be a top 12 tight end this week? And you go, well, in best ball, he was in somebody's lineup because he was on somebody's roster. Same with wide receivers. It's almost flipped. Any wide receiver on a 53, or at least any wide receiver that's probably the fourth or fifth receiver or better on a team is on a roster in best ball. And that's the opposite than in lineup leagues. Now, because those are the positions, tight end and wide receiver, what you will see is they are very, very replaceable once they get to a certain range. So once you go far enough down, they're very replaceable. And here's why the waiver wire is so much more important. And we'll talk about fab dollars in this segment as well. Week to week, you want to have as many players on the field as possible. Which means if you come up to a week and you have the last two, three, four receivers on your best ball team and they are on a bye, barring they are not a player where you go, I really like that profile or I use the rule of, could I trade this guy today? Could I trade this guy for a third? Could I trade this guy for a fourth? Could I trade this guy for fab dollars? And in some leagues I've tried, and the answer is no. Those are players where I go, when they're on a buy, they get cut. I don't care if I kind of like them a little bit, or you know they're the fourth receiver on an okay team, they go. A guy like Dontavian Wicks, like him. Liked him okay as a prospect. Actually liked the fact that he was getting work early, and the Packers have had a couple receivers that have been in and out with injuries, but he's playing. He's getting snaps. He's gotten snaps pretty much every game. But that's not a player you carry through a bye week. You cut him. He's gone. You can't afford a zero. You can't afford players in that range, and it goes for running backs, and it goes for tight ends as well. But that's one of the things. You do not want to go, ah, I like that guy. He probably can give me a game later on in the year. No, you don't want to take a guaranteed zero with a player like that. So the waiver wire is crucial. Every single week in a best ball league, if you are not hitting waivers, you're doing something wrong. And I will just say that again. If you are not hitting waivers in every best ball league, you are doing something wrong, especially as we get into bye weeks especially as we have more quarterback injuries and we have more running back injuries. 
The quarterbacks and running backs, those are popping up every single week. Meaning that there's always a running back that's going to get touches or a quarterback that's going to start on waivers every single week. And in best ball, you want to have them. Not like a lineup league where, all right, do I really want to have Brian Hoyer in the lineup league? No. Sure, you can pick him up, but if he goes to first come, first serve waivers and another team picks him up, I'm not sweating in a lineup league. Best ball league, and he's my QB5 on the given week, I'd rather have it in there. Even if the odds that he beats out the two or three or four QBs that are going to be active ahead of him is extremely low, he's part of your construction and you want to pick him up. So be prepared if you get into best ball, waivers are more intense. You cannot afford just to go, I'll wait till first come, first serve waivers. Because you're going to see 10, 15, 20 players or more picked up in an active best ball league because people are grinding those edges. It's those 2 to 5% edges on waivers to where you go into the weekend going, damn near every one of my roster spots is full of somebody that's going to be on the field. And I've heard this rule from, I believe it was Chase in the voice chat, uh, said he uses a rule of like double the starting lineup, which I thought was a pretty good rule. If it's a 12-team, start 11, 30-man best ball roster, you probably want to have at least 22 players that for sure are playing and have some sort of role every single week regardless of bye weeks or injuries, especially if it's a league where you can't place players on IR, you want to have that many active, which means there's going to be some tough decisions. Not every week. There might be a couple weeks where you have 26 or 27 healthy and not on bye players. Perfect. But there's going to be some weeks where you get down to that 20, 21, 22. Do you really need to hold that fringe running back that's going to be out for four weeks? You know, even somebody like Kyron Williams, if you can't IR him, I'm not saying cut him, but you have to seriously do an analysis of what is this guy worth? In a lineup league, he's probably worth a second. He's worth a second for the fact that he could come back in a month and do anything close to what he was. In a best ball league, you have to seriously consider, do I want to take a third for Kyron Williams? Understanding that that is a zero that I'm going to alleviate for a month. And I can replace him with a player that I don't ever have to put into a lineup. So when you think about that theory... Understanding how to manipulate the trade market, but also the waiver wire is crucial. Like you have to play the day trading game even more, which is why I asked earlier, you know, what does Ray think about day trading and best ball? They kind of go hand in hand. Best ball is a day trading game, not from necessarily like trading one player to another to a team constantly, but there's a lot more transactions. If you're going to optimally manage a best ball team, there's a lot more transactions that go into keeping my roster construction where I want, but also grinding the really small trades and grinding the waiver wire every single week. And the small trades being, hey, I need another active body today. Will anybody sell me a body for a fourth? Will anybody sell me a body for a third? How about some fab dollars? And that's going to be number three is fab dollars. We don't really respect fab dollars much in a lineup league. They might have some value depending on the depth, but in a best ball league, fab dollars are actually almost more valuable than draft picks, especially if it's one of these challenging formats like the one I talked about earlier, 30-man rosters, and it's a start 12 or start 13, even a start 11. There are going to be opportunities where running backs that go from nothing to, wow, that guy's probably going to get 10 to 15 touches this week, are on waivers. 
because people are not stashing players that are getting zeros. Backup quarterbacks on waivers. All of a sudden, hey, Gardner Minshew on waivers. You might think there's no way he was on waivers in Superflex leagues. He was. He was on waivers in best ball leagues because people go, I'm not going to roster three backup QBs. So I'll only roster one. And I can choose between Jameis Winston, Aiden O'Connell, and Gardner Minshew. And they cut Gardner Minshew. And maybe they cut one of the others. But they only can roster one. They can't roster a whole fleet of backups. So in best ball, fab is more important. To the point where you need to be able to go to your league and you need to be able to figure out, okay, what is the fab market going to be? And there's been a couple leagues. Anybody that's played in a best ball league with me typically knows I'm one of the ones that is grinding for the extra fab dollars. Hey, this usable player that I know I may have to cut next week during their bye week, I'll trade him to you now for 10 fab dollars. This player that's probably going to be a cut because I see another player I want on waivers or I want to pick up on first come, first serve, give me five fab dollars for him. And sometimes if it's a usable player, other teams that don't have a roster full of usable players will give you fab dollars. They will give you fab dollars even for a sabotage player, a running back that's not going to give a floor of touches, but you'll still be able to get a couple fab dollars for him. Just because people still haven't wrapped their heads around, okay, this is best ball. I don't want a running back that's a pure backup or a pure handcuff that's only going to get three touches until there's an injury. But sometimes you can sell those guys for fab. But fab dollars are extremely important. And that's because the player delta, where they can go from being a zero on the waiver wire to hitting your lineup and scoring 15, 20 points, that can happen overnight. Think about that in lineup. We'll give an example from this week, Daryl Henderson, right? Daryl Henderson literally went from on waivers in most of my lineup dynasty leagues. And I was somebody that was holding him a ton for like four, five, six weeks, right? Any running back on a 53, he wasn't on a 53 and I finally caught him. Now I've gotten probably 12, 13 shares of Henderson back just on waivers or picked him up on first come first serve, but... The point was, he even got cut in lineup leagues. How rare is it to go from street free agent, signed to a team, elevated from the practice squad that you signed from, starts the game, and puts up 15 points in the span of four days? Think about that. How rare is that in a lineup league? Now, we're not talking lineup here. How awesome was it if you played Daryl Henderson in a desperate lineup league and he went from on waivers to 15 points in your lineup? But that's the extreme. That is very rare to go from waiver wire in a deeper dynasty league to in a lineup. Now, a lot of those guys get picked up, but they're not in lineups. We've talked about that on prior shows, how rare it is for people to actually start those guys. Well, because they got to jam in Rashad White instead, right? We already know that theory. In best ball, that happens all the time. In best ball, a running back has an injury in front of him, and all of a sudden, Jordan Mason goes from probably on waivers in best ball leagues to on rosters in best ball leagues because you can project some touches. Same with the quarterback. As soon as a quarterback is going to start, they go from waivers to a roster, barring that a lot of them weren't being stashed like they would have in lineup leagues. Lineup leagues, Tyson Badgett probably was already on rosters. Tyrod Taylor was probably already on rosters, especially if people are starting to listen to what's going to be my future roster construction series, talking about rostering a ton of backup QBs. 
Like, that's kind of one of the new things that I'm exploiting in lineup leagues is rostering as many backup QBs as my extra roster spots allow on top of the any running backs on a 53, which makes the other spots very tight. Best ball, you can't do that. So fab dollars, best ball, they're huge. You want to have the team that at any point can unload the clip. Now, I haven't really unloaded the clip yet in best ball leagues, meaning I haven't put all my fab down on one player. There really wasn't an opportunity other than Brock Purdy last year, which I didn't do. I did not put everything down on Brock Purdy. I missed out on Brock Purdy last year in some of the best ball leagues that I was in. However, I'm usually the one in position where I go, okay, I'm able to put down 30% of my fab on this QB. But because I've traded for some extra fab, because I have a lot of the teams in the league 50%, even 100% more fab than them, maybe it's a $200 budget and I'm sitting on 350 I'm sitting on 450. All right, I can comfortably throw 70, 80 dollars out there on Tyson Badgett, or I can throw that much out there on whatever quarterback's even going to start for one or two games, and it's a cheap way to go. All right, I fulfilled my roster construction. I added that extra quarterback to the stable because maybe I have an injury, maybe I have two QBs on a buy, and all of a sudden that four or five goes to one or two. So being able to pick one of those guys up off waivers is huge. And a lot of times you only have one or two shots of those if you haven't acquired extra fab. So fab is huge. I wouldn't say fab is worth more than draft picks because you could probably go buy one of those QBs for a third, but it's close. So don't throw your fab away. Do not spend a lot of your fab dollars chasing the fifth receiver on Tampa Bay or the fifth receiver on Buffalo. You know, pick those guys up for free, but understand when you're getting to that range, those guys really aren't worth the fab dollars. And you see that sometimes where someone will go, wow, you know, I blew 20% of my fab on Demario Douglas in the preseason. Like you better think the player is going to be a contributor kind of like week to week or every other week or something like that to spend that kind of fab early in the year on a receiver. Same with the tight end. Like when you're getting to like the waiver portions of tight ends and receivers, pick those guys up for a dollar, zero dollars. Just make sure you have enough active and that's it. Like don't spend the money there, save the money for the other positions, specifically the running backs and the quarterbacks. Cause those are the ones that can go from zero to hero in your best ball lineup overnight. And just because of the nature of how people are going to construct and want to avoid having those zeros before they get the opportunity, they're going to be much more available on waivers. So that's huge for fab. Fab is probably just as important, if not more important than fourth rounders and right there on par with third rounders. So if you're playing best ball, always be the one that gets ahead on the fab dollars. For number four, this one is pretty straightforward, but I didn't really realize it until doing a couple reboots or even rebuilds, you would say, starting them early in 2023 in bus ball is draft picks. We would say draft picks a lot of times in lineup leagues, they're very important for the day trading market week to week and day to day to buy spot starts. And we talk about that all the time. If you have a third, if you have a second, if you have extra picks in general in a lineup league, you still need to be able to buy something that can be put into your lineup and you still have to make a decision around that. So it makes total sense to buy a spot start QB or buy a spot start running back in a lineup league, but you still have to make the decision and put them in your lineup. In best ball, there's more viability for the draft picks. So I don't want to say they are worth more. But having more of them can bail you out 
exponentially in best ball more so than in lineup leagues because there's not a decision that you have to make. So here's how I would view it. If you have extra draft picks in a best ball league, especially if it doesn't have a trade deadline or it has a late trade deadline, you can essentially play it week to week and the threshold of what you have to hit on is lower. Same with making the draft pick. We often say, I don't really want to make that third round pick in next year's rookie draft. Well, I really don't want to make third round picks in general, but understanding just what the player landscape probably looks like in the third round, what I'm aiming for in best ball is probably a little bit different to the point where if the league hasn't fully adjusted in drafting any receiver on a 53 or trading for any receiver on a 53, you probably have more viability with that draft pick in the offseason in a best ball league than you do in a lineup league. And that's one of the reasons where I go, you know what, I don't hate playing this day trading game in best ball where I can trade a player for a fourth, a player that just had an okay game. I can trade that guy for a fourth. I can trade Khalif Raymond for a fourth during the early part of this year when Jamison Williams wasn't playing and they had a couple injuries and then just go pick up another body. And you may say that's a fourth rounder. It doesn't matter. But essentially, I'm looking at whatever I'm picking up off waivers as the same as Khalif Raymond. So it's a free fourth. But I know that there's probably a chance where there's going to be a time where I just need a player that is a slight upgrade in a given week or a player that doesn't have a bye week or a player that doesn't have an injury. And that's where I can go with the level of what I have to hit on in a day trade in a best ball league is a lot lower than it would be in a lineup league. In a lineup league, if I have a fourth, I probably have to be creative. I have to probably add a fourth to a third to buy a spot start. And that may be what it takes for me actually to get a deal done to get somebody that I'm actually going to place in my lineup. In best ball, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is trade for a usable player in a given week. So understanding that and understanding those tiers of players, understanding your roster construction, and understanding where you can just take a pick. And I'll just say this, there's not a lot of trades that I see in best ball for the same reason that you can grind and basically roster anybody that is playing. Rarely in best ball do I see, at least, people throwing around high picks for non-premium players. Even players that are scoring a lot of points, you don't see a lot of high picks, so future firsts, even seconds being thrown around for those types of players. They're rare. I've made a couple of them. I've seen a couple of them done, but I haven't seen a ton of those deals like you may in a lineup league. In a lineup league, you see a lot more deals where people will add two firsts to something to go get an elite player or to go get an elite asset. Best ball, I don't see that as much because you have the whole tear down strategy, trying to manipulate your roster construction. But what I do see in best ball is a lot more of these deals that are week to week. Hey, let me go buy that spot starter. Hey, I have a quarterback available. I have a running back available. I have a wide receiver available. I have a tight end available. It's not just the running backs or quarterbacks like it would be in lineup. A lot of times it's all the positions. So you see a lot more of those. I traded this player for a third. I traded this player for a fourth. I traded this player for fab. So those happen more in best ball. And it happens more where one of those picks can be the difference in getting the tier down or tier up deal that you need to get. So accumulating those later picks, not just to trade, but also to use next year's draft. If you have a team where you need to fill some spots with some players with a little upside, it's easier to do that when you have an entire landscape of wide receivers to pick from. 
because that tends to be a lot of what fills lineup leagues, thirds and fourth rounds. And we would say in lineup leagues, those are not players you want to draft. In best ball, those are the players that you do want to draft. Same with the tight ends. Now, you have to be meticulous about which ones you take. Like you don't want to load your best ball team up with rookies because you're going to run into the same thing where a lot of those guys are barely on the threshold of players you want to roster. But I found that being able to grind those picks, especially in a rebuild, when you're contending, you know what, having them around to use when you need them, fine. But when you're rebuilding, I think it's going to be very fruitful to be the one that says, man, I have five thirds. I have a couple fourths. I have a couple seconds. I have two firsts. You know, being able to say, hey, now I can basically play the entire market. Maybe I can buy a player that I know is going to be useful. Maybe I have to pay a second. Maybe I have to play a third. But having those picks in the offseason in best ball, I think, is going to do you even more good than it would be in a lineup league. So understanding that and then also understanding the day trading game of how to get those picks. Where can you trade based on your roster construction? I can trade Tyrod Taylor if I have four QBs already. I can trade Josh Dobbs if I have four QBs already. I can trade Gardner Minshew if I have three pretty solid QBs for the rest of the season. Yeah, I don't have to worry about them hitting my lineup as much as I would be if I'm building a room that's based on backups and Minshew as my QB3. Like I can understand what that market looks like. And I also know there is a market for those guys for picks in best ball more than there would be in a lineup league. One thing I found in lineup leagues is there are teams where, you know, maybe only seven or eight teams even care about who they're starting in their super flex because they're already tanking or because they figure, you know what, it's not going to really matter that much. I don't have a chance because my lineup just isn't as good as three or four of the other teams. Best ball, that's not the case. Not that people don't tank or people don't punt. But a lot of times people are a little slower to kind of realize, hey, my team doesn't have a chance. And that's because it is best ball. That's the nature of the game. And that leads to the fifth and final thing that I have learned about best ball is the art of when to tear up and tear down. You'll hear a lot of people talk about tearing down in best ball is optimal. You can pick up additional pieces. Really what they mean by that is you are tearing down to pick up multiple pieces that are just usable. They don't have to be, man, I have to tear off of this one player and get two or three players that are going to be in my lineup in a start 11. That is a lot harder to accomplish than it is to tear down and just pick up three players that I know are going to be firing 10 points a game, or I know they're going to be scoring X amount of points across the year. I don't know when they're going to score them, but they fit that threshold of, I know they're going to be playable in best ball. They're going to fire in my lineup X amount of times. So understanding that, and then also understanding the capacity of your rosters. I've had a couple teams where I go, wow, I already have 16 or 17 really core usable players in best ball. I have 11 draft picks and I have a couple opportunities to tear down. And the waiver wire is giving me a couple players every week that I could pick up and I'm totally fine using one of my 30 roster spots on those. Because you do get to a saturation point where you go, all right, it doesn't make sense for me to tear down. In fact, it actually makes sense for me to tear up because I understand even if I give up extra quote unquote usable pieces in best ball, If I'm giving up a Gabe Davis type, or I know he's going to hit my lineup five or six times throughout the year, but if that means I pick up a couple receivers off waivers that also can do the same thing, or pick up an extra roster spot that allows me to make another deal of a similar nature, you're really trying to balance that number that I talked about earlier, the double of the starting lineup spots, or even just the number of roster spots that you have. You're always trying to optimize that 
for most potential points that could hit my lineup. So it's not just the roster construction, but also just having the most active players at the times to win your matchups. But then also understand where is that saturation point? That's something that we talked about on Mind Warped. I know that's been talked about in the past uh, by other best ball content creators about once you get to that saturation point where you've built up your capital, you've done enough kind of punting and you pick up extra picks and you've been able to hit on a couple players off waivers. Because one of the cool things about best ball is every time you free up a roster spot, especially if you're rebuilding, the threshold of what you have to hit to hit on a waiver wire player is a lot lower. If you find a guy like Demario Douglas off waivers in lineup, he would never really be considered a hit in best ball as a rebuilder. He's definitely a hit because he's probably a guy you're going to roster through the offseason just because he's probably going to get opportunity next year. So you can build up usable players a lot easier in best ball, even in a rebuild, which can actually accelerate your rebuild to where you get to a point where you go, wow, now I have all these picks. Now I have a bunch of players already. I'm actually going to go over my roster limit where you don't want to get to is a point where you go, man, I don't have anybody I can cut. I literally have too many players that I don't feel I can cut them. I have to eat their injuries. I have to eat their bye weeks. I don't have enough assets to where I can say, man, I can just cut that player and get a new player for this week because that other player is injured or that other player is on a bye. So at that point, when you reach that saturation point in best ball, you do want to look to tear up. You have to tear up. Sure, you can liquidate. Sure, you can free up spots by getting future picks. But a lot of times the tier up in best ball makes more sense because you can backfill with usable players that will be on the waiver wire. Having those open roster spots is actually more valuable in best ball than it would be in lineup. So understanding the points where you do want to tier up, but also where you want to tear down. Like it's very easy to look at the war and go, yeah, that's probably a receiver I should tear down from. If I can get a receiver and another receiver or a receiver and a tight end or a receiver and a running back. I'm going to do that. And that's where understanding the tier up and the tier down and where your team currently is and how many assets you're working with is crucial. Lineup, you can get away with really not worrying about that as long as you're always maximizing the top 12, 15, 18 players in your lineup. Whatever the number of starters is, you can always be kind of working towards that specific number. But in best ball, you're always looking at pretty much every roster spot. So understanding tier up and tier down and when you're getting close to that saturation point, And one final point, the reason it's more important is because inevitably there will be somebody that gets hit with injuries, that has a team that gets flipped over its head in best ball. They understand, hey, to build this back up, I probably need to split some assets. They're going to be more willing to split assets in best ball because there is kind of a recession for tearing down if you get the right kind of players. You want to be the one that's in position when you can get that up tier that you may never get in a lineup league. Like, for instance, a guy like Justin Jefferson, I probably wouldn't trade him in a lineup league unless it is a very high threshold of what I'm getting. In a best ball league, I made a deal where I trade Justin Jefferson away for essentially Brees Hall and Chris Olave. I also gave back a pick and I also gave back a usable tight end. But in a lineup league, that'd be a deal where I go, all right. Would I do it? Maybe, maybe not. But in a best ball league, I looked at it and said, you know what? I have a good enough team that I can afford to give up the three pieces and also take on two better pieces because even with that extra pick that I gave away, 
I could have bought a usable player, but the likelihood that I can find a usable player on waivers with that roster spot that I would eventually have to free up, I'm fine giving that away. In a lineup league, I might be looking at that a little bit differently. So you want to be the one in position in a best ball league where you can say, okay, nobody else wants to tear up. I have the ability to tear up because I have the picks. I have the assets. I can actually afford to give away a roster spot here. I can afford to give away more pieces that I'm getting back because generally in best ball, there is somebody that is willing to tear down for the right package. So you want to be the one that can tear up and go, man, now I've built a ton of depth and I'm turning some of that depth into a strength and I know I can backfill with some of the other principles that we've talked about, like fab dollars, waivers, late draft picks, etc. So understanding the tier up and tier down is really important. Hopefully this helps. I will just say this. A lot of people are apprehensive to play best ball dynasty. I was too. The grind is different. You do not get the same satisfaction when you started a player versus when they were on your best ball team and they hit your lineup. It hits a little differently. It's not necessarily the same to where you're like, man, I really got that call right. But it's still fun. And I think if you really understand team building and you like the strategy behind team building and balancing and playing the market, best ball is actually really fun. To me, it's almost more fun because I love the roster construction part. I love some of the other nuances that come to play when it comes to trading, bye weeks, injuries, free picks up off waivers, the fab dollars, like all those components add a little bit layer of extra strategy that doesn't exist in all the lineup leagues. To some extent it does, but not fully. So I really enjoy some of the extra strategy components of best ball and nothing beats getting into a best ball dynasty league with 11 other people that are really hyper-focused on these details because then it makes it really, really strategic to when you make some of these moves, what you trade, who you trade with, how you attack waivers, like all of that is really, really fun. I promise you as somebody that is a hardcore nerd, when it comes to a lot of the game theory and strategy, best ball dynasty with really good managers who are sharp and understand team building and understand a dynamic market, it can't be beat. So I love that. More to come on that. If you're interested in getting into one, we're going to revamp all of the Destination Devi Leagues in the offseason. So if you are interested in trying it, there will be a learning curve. But if you're interested and you want to jump in, let me know. Message me on Discord if you want a spot. And with that, we'll go ahead and end the show. Reminder, Trades in 5 goes live on Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the Trades in 5 YouTube channel. Wednesday night, Destination Chill is back at 9 o'clock on the Destination Devi YouTube feed, followed by the AMA in the Discord. Sign up at DestinationDevi.com if you're interested in the bonus content that will now be posted. You will get access to that private feed if you are in the Discord. And with that, good luck to everybody that still has matchups up in the air for Week 7. I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill. There's a rumor going down about me and you Stirring